So my desire to be part of the solution fueled my interest and it just kept, it just kept going in that direction. Welcome to the Confident Podcast with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. Season five brings us more conversations with fierce female leaders. We'll be tackling a range of career readiness and leadership topics, ranging from defining your career purpose to leveraging your superpowers and exploring key questions like, is it okay to cry in the boardroom? Episode 12, following the thread of passion. Welcome, welcome everyone. Hey, Liz. Hi. Okay, well, on this episode of Confident Podcast, Olivia and I decided we wanted to start with something fun, and we're going to play mm-hmm. Would You Rather. We don't know what the questions to each other will Total be. Total surprise. Um, I think it's going to be a hybrid holiday feminist version. Because <laughs> right? when is it not feminist with us? <laughs> Very good point. Um, so do you want to start or do you want me to? Um, I can start. Okay. All right. Wait. Okay. Would you rather time travel... I'll just bleep you out if it's not appropriate. <laughs> it is appropriate, I promise. Would you rather time travel to the past to take part in a women's movement or time travel to the future and start a women's movement? Oh, my God. Actually, that's a really great question. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my gosh. I want to do both. Um mm-hmm. So I guess I would I would say that I want to time travel to the past and I'd love to kind of be around during the women's suffragette movement, but also really urge the movement to make sure that they have an intersectional lens and then everyone to the table and that they make sure that they're shouting that from the rooftop so that history captures that. So that going forward, we have, you know, that as a foundation for everything we do. I think, you know, one of the reasons why we're not making as much progress and accelerating as much as we want is because we're not all on the same page. Um, so, okay, so your answer is go back and revolutionize the women's movement. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a lighter one to you. It's my holiday okay. one. So, um, if you were, if you were employed at the North Pole, what would you want your job to be? And why? That's not a would, would you rather. It's open ended. That is not a would you rather. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I think I would want to take care of the reindeer because that'd be kind of fun. And no, you know, what? I would like to train the baby reindeer. I would want to do that and it's like so teach fun. them how to fly. I thought you were gonna say make toys, like be an alpha. No, make- that's basic. I want to train the baby reindeer. Would you train them to do some extra special flips? Yes, and I train them to do tricks and everything. Plus, they're baby reindeer. That'd be cute. And you train them to like snuggle up with you and watch a movie. Yeah, and- exactly. <laughs> Love that. All right, what else you got for me? Okay, um, my holiday one is: Would you rather get the best gift you ever received again? Or get a new gift, but have no idea what it is. Oh, um, okay. I'm going to have to go with the new gift because that's like the, I, I feel like that answer represents optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had epic gifts in my life and I don't like surprises, but <laughs> I feel like, you know, always believing the best is yet to come is kind of a way of. All right. Yeah. So, um, 
Okay, so is it actually a would you rather this time? No, actually, I just realized mine is another open ended question. I <laughs> so you didn't quite grasp the concept, but that's okay. okay. So, construct the perfect dinner party for me. You get to invite six people. Go. Oh my God, six people. That's a lot. Okay, you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is this including me? Am I one of the people? Let's say yes. Yeah. Um, okay. There's is this like living or dead situation? Yeah, they can. You can bring them back to life for the dinner party. Okay. Um, I'd like AOC. Of course. I would. <laughs> of course, I would like um Malala. Amazing. I think that'd be an interesting one. Um, I'm trying to think of historical you figures. Need an author at the table because you're. I do need an author. Um. Suddenly, I can't think of any good authors. You put me on the spot. Oh my god. Um, Toni Morrison, Bell Hooks, Sylvia Plath. Bell Hooks. Uh, Bell Hooks. All right. Um, that's five. I need one more. Um. Hmm. That was your color friend. <laughs> what? You, yeah, it was my color friend. Um, and let's go with. Michelle Obama, because she'd be yes. she'd yeah. be okay. Let's book it. Let's book yeah, it. Let's do it. Do it early 2024. Um, all right, Liv. That's that's amazing. I'm so excited um for today's guest too. Lots of inspiration going around here. Um, just doing what we do, lifting and supporting women. So you want to introduce our guest? Yes. Carolyn Gonzalez is a community reinvestment officer at MT Bank. She's devoted most of her career to community and economic development in Connecticut and especially her hometown, Bridgeport. Carolyn was also a founding member of Groundwork Bridgeport and the Greater Bridgeport Latino Network in 2003. Welcome to Confident, Carolyn. Thank you, Olivia. It's so nice to meet you and be here with you. Yes, we're so happy to have you. Carolyn, it was such a pleasure to meet you at MT Bank recently. We brought out a group of our SheWorks college interns, and I was so inspired by your story that I couldn't wait to invite you to come on to Confident and talk more about it. So thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm really um, humbled by the invitation. Yeah. And so we'd like I'd like to start with uh, we have a standard question. We ask everyone is, can you tell us something that Google doesn't know about you? Well, sadly, um, I was thinking about this a little bit because um, I did this about two weeks ago. I, I actually Googled myself and I, um, yeah, for a That's different a good thing to do in today's world, right? For a different reason. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. There's not too much information about me on um, Google other than what you'll find on LinkedIn, you know, my professional trajectory. Um, but um but the one thing I think people wouldn't know from a Google search is that um, I, I there is a, a a runaway rogue video of me um, singing with uh, with with my um, singing group called oh. Romance Trova, which um, which I think would surprise a lot of people. <laughs> oh, that's the best! Are you still singing with the group? Not anymore. Um, I mean, just for fun, we do get together all the time and just have loads of fun making music, but not formally kind of out there performing and stuff so oh, that's beautiful though I love having 
hobbies and activities like that that light you up and clearly just if everyone could see your smile right now it's <laughs> something that brings you joy so keep singing <laughs> they're my favorite people I have so much fun with them that's awesome so jumping right into our main questions um can you share a bit about your background and career path that led you to your current role as the Connecticut CRA officer for MNC Bank sure um I'll try to be brief um uh, when I graduated college, um, I uh, went to work as a program manager for a nonprofit organization. And it was great because what we used to do is we would place mostly college students. And I was recently graduated. So so I was almost like everyone's age, practically just a little bit older, maybe. Um, we'd place college students as mentors in schools to work with um, like middle-aged school kids and alongside teachers. Um, and I started very quickly in that role to realize how many more issues, and this was in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and there were, um, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, um, but you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of inequities in, in Connecticut. And so in the Bridgeport school system, there were just a lot of issues um, related to the environment, right? That the kids um, were growing up in and I, wanted to learn more about that. I wanted to see how it was that I could be a little bit more knowledgeable about things that were affecting kids' lives. And I gravitated towards kind of the decisions that were being made in the neighborhoods that the kids lived in, right? I gravitated towards what, you know, we call economic and community development, which is where kind of all the a lot of the state and federal funding, and then even private funding sometimes gravitate towards, right, to help spur development in these neighborhoods and how much that affects an environment, right? Growing up in an environment that is um, unappealing sometimes, unfortunately, at a minimum, and at worst, it's, you know, can be quite dangerous. And so how can we, um, what is it that we can do as a community to help um, these neighborhoods. And this was a neighborhood that I grew up in. And so it was very personal to me that I kind of learn how is it that these decisions get made? How is it that I can be part of the solution? Um, uh, which is something that my father taught me at a very young age. He had been a really uh, radical 60s um, civil rights activist who told me at a very young age that if I wasn't part of the solution, I was part of the problem. And, um, and I took that to heart. So when my first opportunity came to join in economic and community development and like a job, like a, a real job in that space, I took it. And I started working with um, an economic development corporation where I learned a lot about land use planning and what it takes to revitalize a building, for example, what it takes to really help like a small business entrepreneur who maybe is not getting enough resources, um, what it takes to put a park in a neighborhood, right? To make, to make a neighborhood better in all, those, in all of those environmental kinds of ways, how to quite frankly help transform neighborhoods, which is kind of a recurring theme, I think, in my own trajectory. Um, after being in that work for a little while, which was very hands-on as like a project manager, I realized, okay, well, how do these things get funded? Like how do you know how how does how do you make this happen besides the federal 
and state funding, which is more policy uh, directed, right? Money gets directed because people advocate for it and then funding gets allocated and that happens. But I was very curious about how we can maybe get private dollars, right? Capital into these communities by demonstrating that these are communities with um, assets worth investing in, right? Assets that are human and physical and many other types of assets that maybe sometimes are overlooked. And that intrigues me and moved me into um, the community development financial institution space. The CDFI world is wonderful for people really interested in. I would definitely um, offer those links to you um, to share. CDFI world is a really intriguing place. It's kind of a nexus between public, private, nonprofit partners figuring out how to maybe solve some common community problems, with everything from, you know, a contaminated land and how to reposition, you know, contaminated land. And now, nowadays, you know, kind of the flip side of that, just not just cleaning it, but making it renewable and, and green and also helping to create jobs and all of those things, creating paths to um, equitable opportunities for people that live in those communities. I spent quite a bit of time in, in that in that world before the banking world came knocking at my door and thought that my experience doing kind of all of these things might be um, beneficial in the CRA space, which as you may know, is the Community Reinvestment Act. And we get to be the people at the bank who kind of guide or inform some of the investments that the bank makes in low moderate income communities. And for me, this was an opportunity to be on the other side of the public nonprofit, you know, part of the equation and to be maybe on the on a, on a resource side um, and to maybe have a little bit uh, more influence um, in how uh, funding, at least from a banking perspective, is invested. Um, in our communities. And that's how I got here. I thank you, Carolyn, for walking through th that trajectory. And it's so eye-opening in so many ways. First of all, I just love, love, love the story about how your dad, the radical civil rights activist, sparked your interest in making a difference and how you kind of then started in the nonprofit sector, but then have now moved over to the for-profit banking side and still making an impact. And I think I say eye-opening because I think there's a lot of young women out there who don't know that that's possible, right? And we know that Gen Z is so purpose-driven. Um, yes. I just read this article about how Gen Z, they don't want a career, they want a calling. <laughs> and so they're so purpose-driven. So to kind of know about, know your story and about that trajectory of how you're making a difference, I just think is 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 incredible, Liv. Um, I don't know your thoughts on that. I was just going to echo that as well. I think that is just such, uh, it's not something you hear every day. So it's an amazing um, path to hear as, you know, someone who is considering what I'm going to do after college. It's something that's really interesting to me even. And I know, Carolyn, when I, when I heard you talk about this before, you, you described how you followed the thread of passion through your career. And I just was like, it was like an aha light bulb moment. Like, I love how you, how you said that. And can you just talk a little bit more about that and your advice to young people to, you know, how they can follow the thread of passion? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I don't think I quite knew that that's what I was doing at the time. <laughs> I think it was just kind of this general gut feeling that kept following me along the way that um, kind of nudged me and said, well, I think you've done everything in this space that you were going to do. And it seems like you want to do more. Let's move on. Let's discover the next place, right? And let's see what it is that we can learn from the next place. And um, and that desire, that desire that to that desire to have greater impact, right? And to learn more and figure out how it is that um, I maybe could do more, kind of just fueled my passion for learning more and trying to understand more how it is it that these things work, how it is that, you know, communities are funded, how does, you know, how does this happen? So my desire to be part of the solution fueled my interest and it just kept, it just kept going in that direction, right? So I started um, doing the programs and it was very physical in terms of like, very technical in terms of like what you learn. I was like, okay, now I've done that. Now I want to understand how do you attract investment? Okay. How do we attract investment? Okay, now I want to understand how I can pull all these things together. And that desire to be part of the solution just really fueled my my desire to learn more and to have greater impact. And it was that desire to have greater impact more than anything else that that um, led me along the way. And then knowing when it was time to move on, right? So like knowing, okay. This is all I'm good. This is all I'm going to learn here. And I want to do more. Where's what's next? What's next for me? Where can I do that? Even, even if it meant, even if it meant taking a step back, um, which is something I didn't talk about um, Sherry before, but that was something that I really considered because I realized that early on in my career, my work was very much directed at like one-on-one -on -one working with people directly. And as I kind of progressed in my career, I started to get further and further away from working directly with people, right, on a daily basis, right? It was it was it was having more impact in terms of dollars, but I wasn't getting that kind of that feel good uh, feeling that you want to have by you know working with folks and really seeing the results of what it is that you're doing. Um, so that was. Um, that was also a driving force in continuing to balance where it was that I was going to go and how I was going to do it was that I was never going to get so far removed from this work that I forgot why I was doing it in the first place. I love that. And I, I just, I'm listening to you and I, it's just, it, it just feels so positive and uplifting to hear someone talk about how they're just so committed to being part of the solution and how that really has been a guiding force in your career and also, I just want to um, point out, because I'm often coaching young women on this, that, you know, there's a lot of books or, you know, people that say, oh, you need your 5, 10, 20 year career plan. And I actually disagree with that. I And you've highlighted that as well as kind of focusing on, you know, what what you can learn now and and and, and only what's next. But it's like. I also don't like when people say like, oh, what, you know, how do you find your purpose? Like there's some magical answer out there that you're suddenly going to find. But I like to say, build your purpose, right? And you're going to build your purpose over time as you continue to kind of really are able to synthesize and focus in on what lights you up, which is exactly what you've just communicated. So it's just such great career advice. 
I also think it's like hearing you speak about how you need to know when it's time to move on and even to move back. I think that is so important. Um, a lot of young people entering into the workforce, you know, especially in the US, there is such like a grind culture that you always have to keep moving yeah. forward and knowing what you want to do and like, you know, working your way to the top of whatever and then moving on to the next thing. And I think that the way that you like are clearly so mindful about it, I think is very inspiring and something that I definitely um, would like to adopt um, and something that I think everyone should as well. That being said, I can't imagine that all of that was easy. Um, can you share some challenges that you faced during your career transition and what you learned from that? I would have to say that when I first got involved in economic and community development, there was a clear division. I think this will be relevant to this conversation. There was a clear division because between what kind of work women did in economic and community development and what kind of work men did in economic and community but back then right not as much now but back then it was really in start so um the women were doing things like housing and affordable housing and were focused in that space and the men were doing things like building arenas and and you know redoing um entire city blocks and, you know, urban revitalization on the grand scale that was more like real estate, like commercial real estate. And I wanted to understand why there wasn't communication between the two. I mean, I literally remember um, a gentleman that I was working with saying, oh, yeah, that's a Hauser thing. That's not like economic development, you know, like, and I just bristled because I was just like, well, Ironically, right now, that work is at the center of that housing development type work is at the center of a lot of economic uh, revitalization efforts across the country, right? And affordable housing is like a huge issue right now across the country and very relevant to economic development and um, people's path to um, security and financial security. So that was a, that was a, I would say a challenge um, so there was um, kind of a male uh, dominant type of uh, work and this female. And so I literally tried to, I wanted to learn all of it. And I didn't want to be limited by all of it. Um, I was also pretty young at the time. And so that my desire to learn all of it um, came with, I think, some compromises where I really kind of had to be um or I chose to be, I don't know if I had to be, but I chose to be somewhat deferential to like kind of all the the older, more experienced dudes in the room that were gonna kind of tell me how to do all this stuff. And I just kind of took it all in, took in all the information and figured out how it is that I was going to use that in the future, right? Like I was like, okay, well just teach me all you know. And, and interestingly enough, a lot of those, um, guys are still, you know, friends and colleagues, right? Like we eventually, they they eventually came to, I think, respect me and my point of view um, as I kind of came into my own understanding of economic and community development. And to this day, we're still colleagues and friends and, the, and they're part of my network um, now. The other point that I do want to bring up is that um, there's not enough community engagement when it comes to community and economic development. It's kind of boring, or it can be. So it's like, you know, it's just hard to get people to understand that this kind of boring city council meeting about, you know, 
this resolution on this land that that's going to do this like 10 years from now or however is going to impact you and your life and your neighborhood. And we have to do a better job, I think, of communicating that information to our community. So I found that very challenging. Um, but is in terms of my personal trajectory and, um, and, and kind of other obstacles or challenges along the way, I would say that I'm, I think I always um, approached the next position with um, kind of more excitement right? Um, to look at it as like an exciting thing, not something that I had to, that I was running away from. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's fascinating. And I absolutely agree. We need more community engagement and community development. But I want to go back to something you said. Um, you said you were young at the time. And so you were deferential to the men in the room. I'm curious, what advice would you give to your younger self in that moment? So um, I didn't mention this and I should have, but I'm going to say that the, that the women, the older women, the few of them that were in that space were amazing to me. Like they were really just great. And I, I didn't mention them in the story because we were, we were, we were in the trenches, sleeves rolled up together um, at the same time, they were already used to kind of this work and being kind of in the shadows, if you will. Um, and so they were very encouraging to me in terms of um, support. I would say that when that opportunity, when that happens now, if I were, if I were to give myself um, that uh, courage, I think is what I needed back then, um, I think I would have spoken up more. And I think I would have, I, you know, I would have figured out a way to say it in Carolyn's style. I can be quite diplomatic. I was afraid to do that, though. I was afraid to um, kind of insist on certain things for myself and advocate for myself. Um, and I have worked with um, lots of younger women who have that um, very the, that confidence. And I'm envious of it, quite frankly, because I wish that I had had that when I was their age. Yeah, no, I love that. And now you are the seasoned woman in the room. And I saw it when we brought the SheWorks interns. You are encouraging, coaching, mentoring, you know, urging them to speak up and to take up the space and to realize the power of their, their voice and their ideas. So thank you for that. And um, the other thing I just wanted to observe is, and I, I think it's such an essential career gem that I want the young women to get out of this conversation is the curiosity that you've exhibited throughout your career has what has, in, has propelled you forward. So like earlier you said, you know, one of the questions that you started asking about is how do, how does this change get funded and that's what led you to the to the funding side and then just just a minute ago you said you know you started to get curious about why were the men working on some projects while the women were working on others and that led you to expand your horizons and learning so i i love that so much and just you know urge all the women listening to always be curious and to ask those questions and um they, they can be fuel um and and live i i see you all the time asking those questions. My, my favorite line, like with Gen Z, I heard this recently, is like, Carolyn, for our generation, when our boss said jump, we'd say how high. And now with Gen Z, they the manager says jump and they say why. <laughs> yes. 
But Liv, Liv is asking a lot of whys, which I, I deeply admire and respect. So keep asking. Well, credit to you for raising me that way. So <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I was, I was, I was very impressed with the ladies that I work with and learn from them, you know, um, to be bolder and, you know, ask that why question, but wait a minute, why are we doing this? You know, and not just because, um, uh, it was on a to-do list. So, um, another aspect that, you know, we can talk about is, balancing passion and practicality because as we talked about before you said that you were following the thread of passion but um how do you recommend that individuals find a balance between pursuing their passion and meeting the practical demands of their career because I guess we can't I don't know we can't always pursue everything that we want to do that's a great question I um and I'm very much obviously guilty of, of trying to pursue my passion and then, um, yeah. And, and then, um, kind of justifying the move, right. Justifying, figuring out, well, this is where I have to go next because this is what I want to learn and do and, and so forth. Um, and that's okay. But some, in some cases, um, one of the things that I found myself doing was beyond my work life. Mm -hmm. um, I was also involved very much in my in volunteer capacity, right? Because when you have that passion, you, you know, it's almost like, it, where does it stop, right? It's like, I was, I was on this board, I was on that board, I want to be on, yeah, I want to start this new movement, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I did, and I had a lot of energy for it for a really long time, right? And I, I did some things that, and I was a part of things that I'm very proud of like the Greater Bridgeport Latino Network is an organization that we founded back in 2023. I gave that group like my all and I was there, you know, all the way in till just a few years ago, that organization and quite a few others um, who are doing amazing work. Um, but one of the things that I realized um, is that you really do have to figure out what the right balance is for you. So while I had the energy and I had the kind of enthusiasm and I, that was the right time to do it and kind of borderline burn myself out doing it. Um, and then when I didn't have the energy to allow myself to just say, okay, I'm going to step back a little bit from this or maybe even more than a little bit, or um, it's okay for me to take a break um, from this and to be able to not feel uh, kind of guilty about taking care of me for a little bit. Right. Um, so I think that it, in my case, that um, that side of my um, my my passion towards um, the community work and doing that sort of work just required me to be more mindful of, of also taking care of me. Mm -hmm. There were real times um, in that trajectory. I'm not gonna lie, the community that I work in can be very um, draining um, because there's just a lot of politics and corruption. Just I mean, there's just a lot of kind of craziness sometimes that happens. And so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of lows and, and, and so that can have an impact on you. Right. And especially this work, this community and economic development work isn't fast work. It's not like instant gratification. You're literally investing in the future in one way or another. Um, and so, you know, you're investing in a program or a real estate development or a, a park or, or whatever it is that you're investing in that's going to impact that community. It's not going to necessarily give you the instant gratification 
that you want. And so I tended to find that these activities uh, where I could be having more direct impact and filling up my calendar in a lot of different ways and getting involved in a lot of things that um, could be challenging, right? Like just draining, mentally challenging to the point where it's just out of balance. And, and so I had to learn how to step back um, and cut back and be okay with doing all those things. Such yeah. Good yeah, that is so important. I think that the burnout that can come from being so passionate is so real. And it is so important in this area of work to take it time for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would add, I want to add the flip side to that is that as you probably saw from my bio, I also allowed myself time to pursue my other passions that didn't have anything to do with this kind of work, but rather were more introspective or just fun or singing or writing or doing, so, you know, interior design, whatever, like doing that type of work mm -hmm. um, really kind of filled me up in a different way. And that that was okay too, and really helpful and fun and joyful and, you know, yeah. keep the balance in your life. I love yeah. that. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much. There's so much to be learned from your career story. And I just hope everyone listens to this. Um, just to wrap up, we just have a couple of quick speed round questions. They're really fun questions designed for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Um, I'll ask, what's one gender stereotype that you want to smash? Um, okay, there's two. One has to do with clothing and like professional clothing, whatever that means and who gets to decide. Like, I, I get really frustrated with the difference between what whatever business casual looks like for men and business casual looks like for women. Yeah, that I just, I just, it just drives me a little bit nuts. I feel like it really is not, like it's not even, it's not fair. We're judged differently, you know, it's just like, I think that's so silly. And I was part of a, 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 a HR kind of exercise trying to figure that out and it became very evident where the differences kind of lie in the in the categorization of like what's appropriate and what's not and right. that just rubbed me all the wrong way so that's that's one for sure <laughs> and the other is um weightlifting and like weight, weightlifting making you like quote-unquote bulky and that being a bad thing because I trap bar deadlift 220 pounds. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I just hate that people just kind of have an opinion about women and whether or not they should weight lift. And but it's like, can we just do what we want to do for our own reasons? Like that's, mm -hmm. so, yeah. Those are two very good stereotypes that we should definitely smash. <laughs> um, our next one is who is inspiring you right now? That's a really good question. Um, right now, it's pretty simple. Um, I have, um, I'm really into kind of interior design and gardening and, you know, writing and reading and all that kind of stuff. And so what I've been doing lately for balance is on the weekends, like in the morning, I literally just watch and gravitate. Like I have like a circuit of like three or four like YouTubers that I follow for inspiration and kind of just ideas and regeneration. And so those are the folks that I'm kind of listening to and, and following. Mm, that's wonderful. 
Well, we were definitely out of time, but Carolyn, thank you so much again for joining us and all you do to, to lift and support women and girls and um, liberal. We're a proud partner of M&T Bank, so we appreciate you as well. But um, thank you so much. And um, I hope everyone listens and takes away some really important career lessons here today. Thank you so much, ladies. It was great to be here with you both. And um, congratulations on this successful um, and inspiring podcast. <laughs> Thank you.